welcome to season six of Paper Talk, where we talk about tips and tricks on navigating and building your small creative business. I'm Quinn Nguyen of Pinga Mosey. I'm Jessie Chu of Crafted to Bloom. And I'm Sarah Kim of Handmade by Sarah Kim. In season six, we'll be sharing our experiences and insights on running a small creative business from managing finances to building your brand. We'll also be interviewing other small business owners and experts in the field to get their perspectives and advice. So join us as we dive into the world of small creative businesses and help you take it to the next level. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Paper Talk. This week, we are introducing you to Dr. Ellen Wong. I actually ended up meeting Ellen at Mike Kim Mastermind, and we met last year at conference that he held for all his mastermind group over in Nashville. And I met Ellen, heard her speak, and was so impressed by her. I wanted to bring her into your world because her topic is happiness. And I think every single one of us is always searching for our optimum happiness and also figuring what is happiness. So Ellen, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me here. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Quinn. Hi, Ellen. Can you tell us how happiness, I feel like a lot of people don't really, I would say, focus on that as their expertise. How did this become your expertise? So I had my own journey, anxiety and depression. A lot of it, interestingly, the three of us were having a conversation before we hit record culture. All three of us are Asian. And I think my anxiety and depression were was highly triggered by having a fallout with my family. My So I'm like a bit of context. Like I'm a single child. I was raised by a single mom. And so it's always just been me and her. She was very protective of me. And so when I started growing up and making decisions that she didn't like, she started getting really upset about it. So I would say this happened again for context. Like I chose to date someone she really did not approve of, but I was already in my late 20s. And so it's not like I was a teenager and she was really worried about it. Like I was like I was working in my 20s and she really didn't like the person I dated. So she ended up disowning me for five, six years. And through that, she also then did not allow the rest of my family to contact me. So I really just landed in that boyfriend at that time, boyfriend's like apartment. And I had nothing. I had I literally like packed luggage and that's all I had with me. And my anxiety and depression was very much triggered by that. And it's really interesting because as a naturopathic doctor, I had access to like my own tools. I had family doctor that I could see with conventional medicine and I was on antidepressants. I was on anti-anxiety medication. I did a lot of the things that my own training allowed me to do. And it got to the point where I was from a medical perspective, no longer and no longer depressed. And I remember my doctor celebrating that with me and being like, you're good to go. Great. You're not, you're doing great. And I was like, I'm not doing great. And he just didn't understand me. He didn't say these words, but he's basically like, what do you mean you're not? You're basically cured because you're not anxious and you're not depressed, which for anybody. Or you're not clinically. Exactly. These are just questionnaires. You fill them out and you score a certain number and you're categorized as whatever it is. And so to him, I was fine. And I remember like walking away from that appointment thinking that this was not how I thought I would feel. But I also realized that I never really thought this through because I also felt like take all my medications, do all the exercise, eat really well. Like I should be, I should feel good, but I didn't feel good. And that's when I really started to recognize that medicine is something that's going to help me not be anxious and not be depressed. But ultimately, that's a line of neutral. And for the most part, as humans, we want more than 
neutral. We want to feel positive. We want to feel happy. We want to live a joyful yeah. life. Even though these aren't words that we think about every day, I think we understand that there is a feeling associated with that. And that's what we want to feel. And that's when I realized I was going to have to do some more deep dives to understand what it actually means to be happy. And again, remember at the beginning, I said, you know, when you lose your family and then you realize, okay, I have nothing. It's what if I never reunite with them? I still have to live my life and I'm not going to let myself live Mm -hmm. anxious and depressed for the rest of my life. I'm not even gonna let myself live neutral for the rest of my life. I actually still want to live happily. So if I didn't have my family, what does that mean? And how am I going to figure that happiness out? And so from there became my backgrounds in research. And so I did a lot of like academic research on happiness and what that meant. And then I realized that there was these countries that were ranked happiest in the world. So I traveled to a lot of those countries to understand and I wanted to feel what it felt like in their culture to be happy. And yeah, that's how I started down this path. It was very personal. And then over the years, I've been doing a lot of work with patients and clients around it, too. What are the top three things that really focus on happiness? So they're typically in the Nordic countries. So Finland has ranked the happiest country in the world for six years. The one underneath is number two switches sometimes. And so it's typically in that area. The one that doesn't rank as high but was pivotal for me was a country called Bhutan. So the reason why... Bhutan doesn't rank as high in this particular list is because this list still has factors like GDP as part of an economic growth. Mm -hmm. Bhutan has very much put their foot down around this and decided that GDP will never be something that they strive for. They developed their own measure called the Gross National Happiness Index, and they use that to measure the happiness of his citizens and they make all their policies and decisions based on this index. And they are usually not high on that world ranking, but that's also because they developed their own way of thinking Mm -hmm. about it. And when I went to Bhutan and spent some time there, they really just do live a different life. It's very interesting how they set up their policies and what they do on a day-to-day basis. How did you pull that culture into your life to really exemplify happiness? From Bhutan? Yeah. Their index has some has some sort of things that you would assume would be on there, like health and education. Like their education is free, I believe, all the way up to university. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is they measure as part of this index, they measure how much control you feel like you have over your use of time, which I thought was super interesting because it never occurred to me that would allow someone to be happy or not. So this is how it plays out in their world. When you go and visit Bhutan, you're given a tour guide. They don't have public transport there, so you can't Uber around. You can't rent a car and drive around. You also don't want to. They actually have no traffic lights in the entire country. Oh, wow. They have one major intersection where there's one person there like directing traffic and everything else. It's the one person that does this. I took a picture of them. The rest of the whole country is just it's in the Himalayan mountains. So it's all mountainside driving. So you really actually don't want to be driving there if you don't know what you're doing kind of thing. And so when you go there, you're given a tour guide. And I remember on the very bottom of this tour pamphlet that we got, there's this paragraph that just talked about how people are encouraged to use their time towards things that matter to them. And so even though you have an assigned tour guide, they may leave in the middle of the tour and they'll bring on it like a teammate, but 
that person may leave because they need to go do something that's important to them. And for example, our tour guide left in one of our afternoons and brought on his friend to take care of us because he wanted to go set up for his daughter's birthday party. And there's no, I know, and they don't have to like, there's no, oh, you got to use a sick day. You got to use like a personal day or a float day. There's none of that. It was just he needed to go because that was important to him and that's what he wanted to do. And so someone stepped up and filled in and it's just like an assumption that's what happens. Mm-hmm. There's no questioning. There's no that's application. Amazing. And but isn't it like as entrepreneurs, we may feel like we have mm-hmm. some of that flexibility, but the majority of people who aren't entrepreneurs, even for me, like in my position as like a professor, if I had to leave for half a day, I would have to apply for a half a day off. You don't just get to be like, I'm going to, and like, you don't even have to like mm-hmm. report to someone. You just have to like find someone to fill in for you, which people automatically do because that's how they do it. I also think in our society, you would feel pressure to stay. It's your quote unquote obligation. And not that I'm saying it's a bad thing or a good thing, but I, people would say that's just the way it is here. It's kind of like working, I don't know, nine to five or more, 40, 50 hour a week. That's the way it is. It is. But it's so interesting that it could be different. Yeah. Right? Bhutan yeah. shows that it could be different. Your mentality could be different. What you don't want to mm-hmm. do might not be a burden for other people. Other mm-hmm. people will step up because yeah. it's reciprocal, yeah. right? It's a community. It sounds yeah. like it's more of a community yeah. way of livelihood as opposed to here where it's that's your job you got to be here you got to stay which is really interesting i think so because if you think of the actual like setup for this to happen you have to have a group of people who are all willing to step in and not care that sometimes it's not quote-unquote fair because maybe the person who steps in never needs that favor return because maybe they don't have kids that they need to suddenly step away for right like they don't have that mentality like oh Mm -hmm. i do it for you once you have to do it for me once and like They don't do, oh, you've done this five times this year and I haven't done it at all. Like, you don't have that. They just, it is what it is. Like, you need to step aside. I'm going to step in for you. And it also means the company who runs this, they must cross train everybody in order for, it's not if you leave, no one else can do your job because no one understands how to do it. It's like a very, like you said, a rich community, just the individual person. You function as a team. And I feel like partially like without having that kind of mentality where we are, you wouldn't even necessarily think to set it up that way. And because you don't think yeah. to set it up that way, yeah. it can't happen when it needs to happen. Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Why don't we dive in? Mm-hmm. You talk about the nine pillars of true happiness. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, for sure. So the nine pillars is, it spells the word happiness. So it's an acronym. I'll go through them really briefly and then we can dive into them as we chat more today. But the H stands for health. And so obviously like physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health it is part of what it means to have, to be truly healthy, I think. The A stands for authenticity. So are you living a life that's authentic to you? Is it actually what you want? The first P is purpose, having a sense of purpose and feeling like you're contributing and having an impact. The next P is productivity. Now, I borrowed the concept from Bhutan because I think it's really important that we think about productivity as how we use our time as opposed to cramming as much done as we possibly can in the least amount of time, which is what I think I see a lot more on the internet. Like, here's this productivity hack and that product. And it's fine. Yes, speed up what you need to do and be more efficient. But then in the time you've gained, don't add work. Do something that like dedicate time towards what matters to you. Yeah. The I then in happiness stands for inner peace. I think it's really important that we work on our mindset and take care of that negative chatter or else it is very difficult to be happy. The N stands for nature. I think that's one that's fairly Mm -hmm. self-explanatory. The E stands for emotional intelligence or emotional mastery. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people think like happy people are never sad. But I think the difference is that happy people actually, happy people are actually people who have a full range of emotions. They just know how to calibrate those emotions 
better. So that's the E. The first S is social connection. And again, like this is born out of the fact that sort of the longest study of human behavior that's being run at Harvard right now, time and time again, loneliness is deadly. It really is. It's like the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, like in terms of detrimental to health. So social connection is one of the most important things to work on for your happiness. And then the last S is sustainability, which I think is partially like from a global perspective, like we have a duty to protect what I think is global happiness, which is taking care of our earth and the people on earth. And then a personal sustainability, which is more along the lines of are the choices you make sustainable? Do you actually want to keep these choices up? Yeah. So that's the acronym of happiness, which I think are like the... It's so cool. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's so easy to remember too. (laughs) It's really funny. Obviously, I pondered this stuff a lot. And then it was really funny. It was actually in the shower one day that it like all kind (laughs) of sunk in. And I kid you not, I had soap shampoo in my hair and I was so worried that I would forget it that I like put it like I ran out of the shower, put a towel around my head and a towel around my body and like grabbed a piece of paper and wrote it all down. I was literally <laughs> dripping with shampoo. It was really funny. Yeah. And then I like ran back into the shower. And I was like, there, I won't forget it now. What a great story. I was remembering when you were talking about happiness and that was like the first time I've heard someone really speak in depth about that moment of inner happiness. It's so important. I think I'm naturally a very positive person and my husband is the opposite of me. He's like Mr. Negative. This is why he likes to tell people, I am. Why not? And he's like, why? Why do that? Why do this? I would say happiness overpowers everything. He appreciate me being happy all the time. I don't know. I just have this abundant positivity where it just overshadows his negativity. And I would say at the beginning of our marriage, he's an introvert. He would never go out. And I'm an extrovert. And I love to see my friends and I love to feed people. And so... He was okay with me bringing people to our home because he could actually leave at any time and just separate himself, which he did multiple times. And my friends were, <laughs> would be like, oh, and y'all. And it's so funny. Every Friday we would have a dinner party. There would be at least 10 to 12 people over. And I mean, we've all become good friends and there's great conversation. And then at some point, my husband's like, I'm done. He just moves over to the living room and then just does his own thing. And I'm just like, at least you should say something, excuse yourself or whatever. But nope, he just walks away. And I just roll my eye. Oh, Quinn, it's okay. It's just Daniel. I'm like, no, this is unacceptable. (laughs) But over time, everyone just, you know, takes it easy with pride. But we balance it out. But I would say I create my pockets of happiness. I'm happy. And I just drag him along wherever I am. So funny. (laughs) I think different people obviously need different levels of social connection. Right. And I find this fascinating because do you remember a long time ago? Not even that long. Honestly, it wasn't that long. Maybe like even five years ago, people were like, you got to meet people in real life. And like internet doesn't count as friendship and like that. I think the pandemic, that was a very pushed and forced way of dealing with it. But I think over time, we've learned that there's different like, sure, like seeing somebody in person and being able to have dinner parties and hugging them may be important, more important for some people and for other people like hanging out with friends and having Zoom conversations is fills their cup enough. And I really want to point this out because I remember when I was dealing with anxiety and depression, a lot of people said to me like, oh, you need to go out and hang out with people because you're like, it's going to help you feel happier. And the problem is like when you're anxious and depressed, and I wanted to share this part of the story because I feel like when you're struggling with your mental health, like the advice is theoretically helpful, but sometimes it's very overwhelming. Like when I was anxious, I couldn't leave the house. 
it was so overwhelming to leave the house and be stimulated with like loud noises from everybody talking. And then when you're depressed, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to open up. I didn't want to go to a dinner party or like even dinner with my friends and have someone be like, so how are you doing? And then I wasn't going to verbal diarrhea all over them about how I'm doing. But then if I kept saying, oh, I'm fine and pretended to smile, then it would just feel so fake. At that point in my life, the best I could do was internet connection, like a quick Zoom or maybe messaging and commenting on people's posts and they wrote back. That was all I could do. If anybody's listening to this Mm -hmm. and you're in that situation, I want you to know that's okay too. You are allowed to do as much social connection as you need. And it's fine. There's no, you must see people in person and that's the only way you're going to be happy or feel good. You just got to take, give yourself a lot of grace and do what you can. And it's interesting that we also know that even as simple as like smiling at someone on the street and making eye contact also in your brain counts as a type of social connection. And so they've done studies where they had people in college like walk across the campus and just smile at everyone that day versus people who just went along and like was a control group that didn't act differently. The people who smiled at strangers still felt happier at the end of it doesn't have to be one specific way. And the other, I'm tooting my own horn now, but like the other thing I really like about these pillars is that let's say social connection is not something you can work on right now for whatever reason. I don't, whatever it is, like, that's not the pillar you can focus on. There's eight other you can choose from. It doesn't have to be like for all the overachievers listening to this, you don't, you can't yeah. score perfect in all nine of the pillars. That's not, yeah, like that's not the point, right? The point is like, these are nine things you can consider. Which one do you yeah want to focus on and which one do you have the energy and the bandwidth to focus on? Because sometimes one of them just isn't doable and that's Mm -hmm. okay. I think giving yourself permission and grace to accept what you can handle and absorb and release to people around you is so important. And I would say my husband's very confident and he has that ability to like, okay, I'm done. Just walk away. But, and he just lets me do my own thing, which is nice because he knows I need a little bit more than he does. And he gives me the range to actually go Mm -hmm. do it. I think part of what you're saying is like, you've both accepted each other (laughs) exactly the way the other person is, which is I think key to any relationship, friendship or otherwise, but especially like partner relationships. I think that's what makes a happy relationship is one where you're not trying to change the other person because you can't and that ends up being building up to like resentment and anger and all that kind of stuff if you can find a way to truly accept the other person for everything they are then you truly love them and I think that becomes mm-hmm. a very solid happy mm-hmm. relationship I do want to train him to pick up his socks sure. <laughs> everywhere and around the house <laughs> I don't stand this man everywhere I look socks everywhere <laughs> in the garage in the front door Underneath the dining room table. It's okay. The other day I asked my husband, I was like, (laughs) why is it that every flat surface you have access to, you have to put something on? I don't understand. I'm like, his drawers are half empty because his clothes are on top of his drawers. I'm like, that is not the purpose of the drawer. If you just wanted a basket, we could just gotten you a basket. I don't understand what is happening here. I don't get it. And like, he has a table and all the papers are just next to him on the table. I'm like, are you, do you need those papers? Do you want to file them? Like you have filing space and he's all get to it. I'm like every surface, whereas like my desk is like 
almost empty. There's one notebook, one key. There's like almost, and it's just, again, it's really mm-hmm. hilarious. So I've, <laughs> here's the thing. It's like, I have to resist the temptation to go clean up his stuff because it's not my stuff and it's not my stuff to clean. And so I've just decided we need separate spaces. I was like, all right. So as we figure out where we're going to move to our next home, I'm like, we're just going to get a separate office. You can work wherever you want. I want my own office and you can't come into my office. <laughs> my office will be clean and clutter free. And this is my space. You cannot come in here and put things on my surfaces. Okay. So important. <laughs> well, there'll be less conflict. <laughs> okay. I have another question for the both mm-hmm. of you. I know that you guys have an amazing job. You are both mothers to little kids. And I was talking to some friends and they were talking about how when they were having kids that they kind of lost their identity as a female that had a job who had circles of friends. But when you have kids, your kid's friends, mom, become your friends. How do you focus and balance the happiness of finding your own identity and being an awesome mom who wants to look out for their kids and make sure that their kids' friends are what you want to have in your circle? Jesse, you go first. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think a couple of years ago when Killian was like one and he was struggling with all the allergies and stuff, I think I was mm-hmm. struggling with this. Remember, I was really trying to balance my artistic life with my mom life. And I think having the second was such a change from the first for me that I really thought, wow, like this is my life. Am I only a mom? Like, where's the rest of me? And I think when you're deep in it, you lose it. You do. And I think there, it's inevitable because there's this little being that mm-hmm. really that needs you. And that's okay. I think it's completely okay until you want to do something else. And then you feel like, wait, like, who am I? And I think it took time for me to get back into the groove, so to speak, to stop wearing those mom clothes, to start feeling like I'm a whole person and the child is that they're outside of my body. Like, I'm not them. They're not me. We're not yes. together. <laughs> anymore. I think part of it being an artist helps too, because you're always thinking about creating. You're always thinking about that kind of stuff. So part of it, you never lose that. But I can see if you are running your own business and it wasn't maybe not creative, it was something a little bit different that you could struggle getting back into that because maybe you completely stopped doing that. Maybe you're just like, okay, maternity leave. And you're like, all mom, you're like all in completely. I think to some extent, my art helps me I think bring me back to who I am because that is you, right? You're the art, you're the, Mm -hmm. that's the why. And so to some extent it did help with that, but a lot of it was time. That was the thing that made me struggle the most. It was time management. It was, I felt like I never had time to do my own thing. And this is why I always tell people the second one, like with the first one, it's either the child or you, which is fine. The child can eat, the child can play, (laughs) the child can sleep, and then it's time for you. But the second one, I don't know how people do it with third and fourth and whatnot. But the second one, if it's not one, Mm -hmm. it's the other. And if it's not the other, it's you. And it's never you. With the third, you're never there. Like you've already accepted the fact that it's not you. So that's why research has shown third is not as bad (laughs) as the second. But with the second, you still have this expectation that, okay, I did it the first time. I can do this the second time. No problem. No, with the second, it's it's never you. And that's when I felt like I lost myself because I never had my own time. Like I never, it's not even time. It's time as in sleeping or napping or just like sitting in the washroom and just being alone. There was never alone time. And for some people who are more introverted, perhaps that might be like one of their key pillars of happiness is having that no social connection. I just need to go back to myself. I think it is important knowing like what is happiness to you? What does that mean? 
because that's so much related to your identity, right? And knowing what you need in order to feel like yourself and be happy with where you are right now, being present. So for me, it was actually the time, not having that alone time, not having time to create for me or be me or not even be me, just being like away from kids. I felt like I was losing myself. So it took time. For me, the reality is I have, I am the primary caregiver. There's no way they can't be without me. So it did take time. It took time for Killian to grow up, to be more independent. It took time for me to be, to give myself more grace, to be like, you know what? It's okay. Life is transient, right? Things change. This is not going to be forever. So look on the bright side that, you know, they want me right now. It's fine. I can give myself away right now. In time, I'm going to slowly get back my identity and hopefully with art that will help as well. I don't know. For me, it was really just time and literally telling my husband, like, I just need to go and do this by myself for an hour. Can you just watch the kids? And then you come back and you're like, oh, hey, you're just, you feel more like yourself. So I have one and she's three right now at the time of this recording, three and a half. And I have decided that I reserve the right to change my mind, but I've decided I'm only going to have one. We're not having (laughs) another one. The way... And I agree with what you're saying, Jesse. I think time is one of those things, pretty much the only non-renewable resource that we have. It's gone, it's gone. Time is definitely very different now that I have a little one because like I said earlier, like I, I want to spend time with my little one. I don't necessarily want to be working at night or whatever it is. I think the way I look at and it, this is the really interesting thing for me with losing identity and all that kind of stuff. I was, as I shared, anxious and depressed before, which meant that I was at a much higher risk of postpartum depression. So when I had her, actually before I gave birth, I made my husband sit down and read all the signs and symptoms of postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. It's like, you need to know what it's going to look like if this happens to me. And how are we going to deal with it <laughs> if it comes up? And so it, and it did. Like I, I was quite, I was, it was a, pretty depressed for the first six months. She was also born. And then shortly thereafter, our city shut down because of the pandemic. So we didn't, you know how they say it takes a village. We had no village because there was nobody who could visit us. We couldn't drop her off at daycare. Mm-hmm. We couldn't hire babysitters. My family, there's older people in it. So we didn't want them to come. Anyways, it was just lots of reasons, but we felt very alone. What I learned during that time was that in all honesty, the first year you just lose yourself. You're sleep deprived. You're not taking care of yourself. You've lost a lot of the social life you may have had before. Like you just couldn't be like, hey, you want to go have dinner tonight? You just you couldn't do any of those things because there was a being that depended on you. And if you were breastfeeding and not even bottle breastfeeding, but like breastfeeding, breastfeeding, if that's part of your journey, then you were the person that had to do that. There's just no actual way around it. And so you do lose yourself. You honestly do. And I think I wish people told me this more. I actually wish like someone had said to me that this was going to happen. And if you still want to sign up for it, then go for it kind of thing. <laughs> because there's, there's actually, I don't know that there's a way around it. I really don't. Unless you are very fortunate and you can hire help and mm-hmm. have someone there for you all the time. But even if you did, unless you also happen to have someone with you at nighttime, if you are the one breastfeeding, you're waking up at night with this child. Like the, I'm not, I'm actually not sure how else we're supposed to do this. And so you really just lose yourself for a bit. <laughs> the interesting thing though, I think is that there's a couple of things. Like I feel like if you really feel like you lose yourself that time, when you do start gaining the perspective and the time back, I think that's beautiful because you actually have a chance to reinvent yourself. You actually had a chance to like full on reset and now you get to decide what from that old life you still want to carry forward. The habits that served you then 
may not serve you now. And that's okay. You now get a chance to recreate some things that work better for you. I think sometimes it's like we feel like, oh, like we want to do all the things and go back to that life you had before. It may not be possible for the next five, six years. So of what you had, what did you like? What do you want to bring back? And if you wanted to add new things, Mm -hmm. here's your time to try. You just literally have a reset. And I think that part to me has been helpful in shifting my mindset around this loss of independence because I was a very independent person before. And now I feel like I don't have access to that because I can't literally just get up and go somewhere and just be like, hey, to my husband, be like, I've decided I'm going out tonight. Like, I can't, I can't actually, I could, he could take care of her, but there's just an added layer yeah. that you have to think about. And so I do the same thing, mm-hmm. Jesse. Like, sometimes I actually am someone who needs a lot of alone time. And so everyone said, well, like, my husband will just take her out for a day. And I'm like, excellent. I just need a day. Like, I, I need to like, reset and like, just be in quiet and be in peace and like just have quiet around me because even if I'm not directly interacting with my toddler, there's no quiet. There's always something. Mm-hmm. There's always like they need something or like whatever. And so yeah. I think there's that. I think the other thing that I realized was like if you imagine like you have a bucket of energy and let's say that bucket full is 100. Sometimes I feel like the first year, 90% of that bucket goes towards your child and then you only get 10%. And again, it's just the nature of what's happening in that time frame. Mm -hmm. I think as you move forward, I think as women, we often feel like we're supposed to give 100% to both our kids and our career and then also ourselves. So that's like 300%, which doesn't really make any mathematical sense. I've gotten to the point where I accept that it's not that it's 50-50 because sometimes like work gets 70 and she gets 30. But the idea is that I've reminded myself that it's not going to be 100% every which corner I turn. There's going to be give and take. And so before when I could work, if I was really into a project that I was doing, whether it's in my business or at work, like it got eight, 10 hours a day of my time, 100% of my energy and focus was dedicated towards it and nothing else needed to be anywhere else. That was fine. It just doesn't look like that. It's not going to look like that. And I'm okay with the fact that things have to get divided up. And that may mean that maybe my business doesn't fly off as quickly as I would like it to. But in return, I have a beautiful human being that I enjoy spending time with, right? And so it's just like, I remember this quote, I don't remember who said it, but it's basically like all source of unhappiness comes from wishing things being different than they actually can be. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's not accept it and feel defeated. It's like, I accept that this is where things are for me. So how do I make the best of it? And like genuinely be okay with it. My business will not grow as fast as if I didn't have a child. That is a fact. I'm not resentful of my child. I'm just, this is the season that I am in right now. It is what it is. And I'm going to take the beauty of both of both the business growing at the pace it needs to be and then spending time with my daughter. Yeah, it's so true. Mm. Resentment is a big one. It's inevitable that it might happen, especially when you're used mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. doing your own thing, right? Resenting that you have to spend time with this little child when you all you want to do is, I don't know, make flowers. All you want to do is spend time with your friends or whatnot. Usually it's making flowers. Or like doing art of some sort. Yeah, it does take acceptance. But also there are strategies you can also put into place, right? Like practical ones. Because sometimes, yes, it's reframing it in your mind that that takes time as well. And then the strategies help you do in a practical way where it's, yeah, no, from this time to this time, that's it. Just don't think about it. This is my kid's time. I pick them up. I spend an hour or two with them. And then I go back to do my own thing. And sometimes you just need those the reminders, which I mean, speaking to you is great reminder about the fact that sometimes wishing for more is what mm-hmm. may be your mm-hmm. source of resentment or unhappiness. And as we were talking before, what does contentment look like? What does that look like? What's authentic? What's a, what's it like to be authentically happy 
or content. I don't know if I personally prefer the word content more. I know happiness to me seems transient, very transient. I'm happy now. I'm sad now. That's what we learn in school, right? Are you happy? Are you sad? But being content, like truly content in where you are in life now, which might change, obviously. But what is, how do we get there? And I think that looks different for every single person mm-hmm. too, on their track of life, where they were educated, how they grew up, what their parents taught them. I mean, it could be different from person to person. So your definition of contentment is different for yourself versus mm-hmm. for myself. Because I'm remembering when I was your age, Jesse, it was very much a moment of growth for me. And that's where I found contentment. And as I'm approaching another decade of a new age, I'm also thinking, how can I not grow so much, but also be content with what I have and just be more intentional about my contentment and carving that time out. I think Mm -hmm. that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you're saying really speaks to a couple of the pillars. Like the one is authenticity. Like you have to actually understand what it is that you actually want in your life. There's a lot of building for the sake of building and growing for the sake of growing. And it's that actually meant for you. Do you Mm -hmm. actually want that? I think that's really important. And I think Mm -hmm. it's like slowing down, taking a pause and moving away from that like autopilot of this is just what I'm doing. So if I hit this goal, then the next goal is supposed to be this. You just actually have to, what does make you happy? What do you actually want? And then not to be afraid of the answers that you come up with. Because sometimes we're like, oh, that's so different. Oh, what would other people think of me? And then we shut them down. But maybe if that's what you actually want for yourself, Mm -hmm. then that's what's going to make you the most happy. And I think again, like, what you were saying, Jesse, like this idea of contentment, like I think it's almost if you go through the nine pillars and you're attending to them, you will feel content. There's no other outcome that is possible because you're living your authentic life. You have that sense of inner peace. You're working on moving through emotions and like all that kind of stuff. Like you, of course, you a hundred percent will feel content. And so I think it comes back down to honoring those pillars and the role that they are playing in your life. I think it's really important to be honest with yourself about what it is that you actually want. What about for my parents are in re- retirement and I've heard so many stories of people one divorcing <laughs> once they hit retirement because they realize they don't know each other. But also for 60 years of your life, you know where your journey is, like journey is going to go. Your maybe perhaps your direction, maybe you've been working all, you know, all your life. What, how would someone find, I don't know, can they find happiness after retirement or when their identity shifts so I think significantly? The answer to that lies in the fact that your happiness had to be a part of your journey. You can't, it's very difficult to spend 60 years not honoring your own happiness and not honoring your authentic self and what it means to you. And then suddenly hope that it's there after mm-hmm. we retire, which I think is what happens for a lot of people. You work and you work and you save all this money. And then you're like, I'm oh, retired. Yeah. I'm supposed to be happy. And then they're not. Yeah. They're not happy because they've lost their, yes. right? They've <laughs> lost their sense of self. Yeah. They're now empty nesters. Yeah. They found their happiness in their kids' achievements. Yeah. And so now that their kids are somewhere else, they don't have that. Their kids mm-hmm. were a source of distraction for the issues that was going on in their own relationship. Because that's often what happens is like you you externalize the issue and you work on the kids, but then you don't think about the person that you're Mm -hmm. chosen to spend your life with, if that's the scenario, what we're going with. And so again, back to that idea of productivity, of taking the time to spend it on who matters. Like, I think it's really important that parents spend time with each other and not just with the kids, because you can't lose sight of the fact that this is the person that you're going to retire and spend the rest of your Mm -hmm. days with. What does that look like for you? Of course, you don't want to spend it with a stranger because that's what it feels like if you haven't communicated in 60 years. And then all of a sudden you're staring at each other and you're like, 
oh, there's nothing else to talk about. Of course, it's going to happen. And so the happiness doesn't come at like the day you decide you're going to retire and wake up and not have to go to work. The happiness came because you chose it to be a part of your journey the entire time. And so now it's just a matter of now I don't have to clock into work. What would I like to spend that time on instead? What would be your advice for someone who did have that hope? who spent their life doing a job that they never loved. <laughs> Not that they were unhappy, but it was like the like uh, in the previous generation, like our parents, a lot of them worked 50 years yep. in the same company. There was, there was comfort in that. I'm not saying that they didn't love it. They mm-hmm. probably didn't, but then hate it. They ha- didn't hate it enough to leave, but there's comfort in that. What would be your advice for someone who did retire yesterday and now they're like, the world's an oyster for me? but I still feel aimless. You can sense of purpose, right? Your purpose is something that you get to decide. And so that might be a very hard conversation to have because we haven't had that conversation with our own self for a very long time. But now then it becomes like, what Mm -hmm. matters to you? What do you want to explore? What do you want to do? And the people who have developed what I call a happiness mindset throughout their life will hit that point where they're retired and they'll actually be excited because now they have time to explore. They understand what it means to put themselves first and to not in a selfish way, but honor your own needs. And so now they're going to honor those. But if you've spent 60 Mm -hmm. years neglecting your own needs, it's going to take time to flex that muscle again. But you still have to choose to do it because sitting in your home doing nothing is not going to trigger that either. You have to Mm -hmm. actively potentially go through a more uncomfortable period where you're like, actually, what do I find interesting? And what is it that I... I think our parents' generation had a very different goal. They were growing up when they were younger. They were like raised by our grandparents' generation who went through war. For our parents, Mm -hmm. stability was what they were taught. Anything that is stable is your best because it put food on the table. It meant everybody was taken care of. It meant you had money coming in. Like it was just different. I'm not saying we don't need that, but we're we're very privileged. The, at least the three of us sitting in this room and a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, like we are privileged enough that safety <laughs> and food on the table isn't something that we struggle with a lot. But our parents had that mentality because that's what they needed. Mm-hmm. So it made sense for them to do the job that they stayed at for 50 years because instead of going out and potentially losing their job and not having food on the table and money coming in, it was the safest thing for the family that you just stayed at your job and did your That's the mentality they grew mm-hmm. up. We are just in a yeah. different season. Like our generation is different now. And so we just have to be mindful. Like sometimes taking on that mindset is helpful. And sometimes you have to move through that mindset and decide again, like what is it that is important for you? One of the pieces of research around this is that there's like these top five regrets of the dying. And it's a nurse who started the study. She basically, I think she's a palliative care nurse and she just started interviewing people who were dying soon and published this paper, which has since been replicated in all sorts of different settings. But the idea is like two out of five of those top regrets of people dying were, I wish I didn't work so hard and I wish I let myself be happier. I think that's really powerful because then you sit there and you're like, why am I working 80 hours? Oh, like, why am I doing that? But actually, why? Because if you actually think about it, people could be like, oh, because yeah. I don't know, like I'm going to get my next promotion. Okay, but actually why? And when you actually, when you ask yourself that tough question, then you're starting, you start to come up with answers. Okay, because I want to take this money and do what with it? You actually have to sit down and ask yourself those hard questions and examine what it is that's your motivation behind all of this. If that many people wish they didn't work so hard and that many people wish they were happier, I feel like we should start attending to these needs earlier on. And mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I think this is related to the whole conversation we've been having since we started, but I want to work hard 
I want to be effective and I want to produce the things that I want to produce, not at the expense of me having that regret that I wish I didn't work so hard, which probably I think what that regret actually means is I spent a lot more time at work than I did with the people that matter to me. I think that's what it ends up translating to. And same thing, I don't want mm-hmm. to be on my deathbed and being like, I wish I let myself be happier. That's a very heartbreaking regret to have. And it's like, when does that start now? Like it starts now, get to start making decisions around this. I was reading this post the other day on the internet. It was like, again, it was based off of a research study, but it was about how it was pretty pointed. And it was along the lines of the only people who will remember how hard you worked in 20 years are your kids because you didn't spend time with them. And that really hit because I was like, I could see that happening. If I chose to work the usual hours that I worked, it would mean that I didn't pick her up. It would mean that I wasn't there for her right after school. I think over time, she would remember that not to be like angry at me, but she would remember mom just isn't a part of that part of my life. And that makes me sad. I don't want that. And so there's obvious, again, Sometimes it's 70-30, sometimes it's 50-50, right? It really, it depends. But if there's something that's really important that I need to be doing, I really try and pick her up every day if I can. And I want to spend that time with her after school because I want her to know that yeah. like, I missed her and that I'm being present with her as she's telling me about her day in her three and a half year old way, which generally doesn't make any sense what she's saying, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is like, she's telling me a story about what's happening during her day. And I want her to feel like this matters to my mom. You know, it's so interesting. I'm an immigrant and so is Jesse and so is Ellen. My parents and my older sister and I escaped from Vietnam because of the war. And we came to the United States with practically nothing. My parents could not speak English. So they had to go to, they had to learn on the job and go to night school to learn English. And I just remembered my parents not being there for me. I had my older sister and I, and then I did have a younger sister and a younger brother, but mainly it was my older sister and I taking care of my younger siblings because my parents were working two to three jobs each to support us and to put food on the table and to make sure that we didn't need anything. And yes, we lived a very simple life, but it really taught us the worth ethic of working hard. And you know how the quote says, work hard, play hard. What do you think of that? Is that, does that lead to happiness? Because weekdays you work hard, weekend you play hard. It could mean to multiple different things, but what does that mean? How do people carry that quote in yeah, their life? I have this like anti-hustle belief. I don't know how to express this. I feel like I would not use the word hard. Does that mean like it, it, inherently to me, like as soon as I hear that, I totally understand what the, it's trying to say, but mm-hmm. I almost feel like I don't want to go hard at anything. Hard feels like there's a lot of tension and I'm banging my head against the wall equally in two different realms. I just want to be very intentional. It doesn't have to be hard or just, does that make sense? It's like, I almost feel like I can't take on that quotation, even though I understand what it's saying. I just want to be intentional. I want to be realistic. I want to know that I'm putting my time and effort towards the right things in my life. I think with your situation, Quinn, what you were describing, I think your parents didn't have a choice. I think they had to work that hard. They They had to feed the family, especially as immigrants. And they probably didn't have the highest paying jobs. Like, I think the difference between that and sometimes what I think we're going through is that we're choosing to work all those hours in some of these situations. If you need the jobs to feed your family, again, like there's a hierarchy of needs. Food and safety are the first things that have to get fulfilled. So that's great. I think though, more often than not, like, our drive and what we call ambition is what is pushing us to work all those extra hours. And again, 
I think ambition is important. I think it's important to pursue the things that matter to you. But the key is like, do they matter to you? And do you actually want in this entrepreneurial world? I feel like I hear this all the time. I hit my first five figure launch. I made my six figure business. Then I hit my seven figure. I'm like, fantastic. Do you actually want that? And I don't know that we pause and actually somehow we've like feel like we have a limiting belief or like somehow we're not ambitious enough if we're an entrepreneur who doesn't want to make seven figures. You don't have to make seven Mm -hmm. figures. If you want to, great. But like, why do you want to? And again, that's a question that's for yourself to answer. No one has to answer that to someone else. But you just have to decide if that's actually the life you want. Interestingly enough, though, when I work with clients, I you forget like how much money you want to make in your business. I actually want to know what life you want to live first. You have to decide what life you want to live and then go backwards from there and then make a decision about how your business is going to support that. It's not the other way. It's not, Mm -hmm. let me make seven figures so I can go on a yacht. Do you want to be on a yacht? Because if you don't actually care to be on a yacht, then why the heck is that? Who cares? (laughs) And I feel like that this happens a lot. And I have actually, I have been in situations where I have had mentors call me out and say that, oh, I have a limiting belief around money. And I used to believe that. I used to be like, oh my God, I have a limiting belief around money. Of course, I want to make more money. And then after a while, I was like, no, I don't. Like, I have a lifestyle that I want to live. So long as my business supports that, that's what will make me happy. I don't want to fly on helicopters. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be on yachts. I get motion sick in the car. Putting me in a yacht or a helicopter, is <laughs> it's just silly. I will most definitely not be happy. So then it's like, why? Do you know what I mean? It's like this yes. image. We see it all over the yeah. internet. If you guys are interested in getting Ellen Wong, Nine Pillars of Happiness and what it means, go check our website. My website is drellenwong.com. A lot of my information and the way I work with different people are all on there. Or you can connect with me on Instagram. The handle is at Dr. Ellen Wong. You can definitely get a hold of the nine pillars of happiness through my Instagram link, as well as on the website. And then to end this episode, we have a fun question to ask you. What is your favorite snack that you are loving to eat right now? (laughs) I'm laughing because it's going to sound like super unhealthy. By strict (laughs) measures. Yeah, by strict measures, it is kind of... Actually, it's interesting because I work in a field where there's some very strong views of what a healthy diet needs to look like. And I have always been like, that is not going to be my definition. I obviously do my best to eat a balanced meal and have my fruits and vegetables, but I will probably never give up chips. Like it's just, it's okay. Like to me, it's okay. Like 80% of the time I make really healthy food decisions. The other 20% of the time I'm allowed to feed my soul. You know what I mean? And so this is also going to sound like most Asian snack ever. (laughs) You two are going to laugh at me. It is actually a... (laughs) It's like a, I don't even, actually, I think it's like a chip, but it's salted egg. You guys know the salted egg? Yes. Costco oh, carries yes. The fish chip, the fit. what is it, fish skin? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you yes. talking about fish skin mm-hmm. one? Fish skin ones. I'm obsessed with salted egg things right now, which again, yes. those are very good. Yeah. Especially the So again, are, by no yes. means healthy, yes. but so good. here we are. That is actually <laughs> my favorite snack yeah. right now. So hilarious. <laughs> oh, if you love salted egg, let me give you a little tip. So take an egg mm-hmm. yolk just egg yolk, no egg white, put it in a bath of like flavored soy sauce. Okay. You can do it in plain soy sauce too, but just let it sit in there for like 24 hours. This eggs absorbs a good amount of that soy sauce unami flavor and eat it with hot rice. It is so good. Does the egg also need to be cooked? 
Interesting. Prefer. The salt. So they actually do this in a salt. So what they do is they take a layer of just dry salt and they put the egg and cover it in. They let it age in the fridge for a couple of days. It hardens. It gets cooked. So it's hardened. You can actually take that egg yolk and grate it over a salad. It's like a Parmesan alternative. That is like a salted egg. <laughs> so if you like that, I think you should try I'm it. I'm so it's confused. Super easy like, so do. do you crack open the egg and you take, you separate the white and the yolk. Yeah. So like the liquidy yolk you put mm-hmm. in a bowl that yep. already has some salt yeah. in it and you put some more salt on top of it. So, okay. Yeah. You want to make sure the yolk is intact. Right. And then you just cure it in the fridge. You can add rosemary. You can add sage. You can add whatever herbs you want into the salt and the egg yolk will absorb it. And you have this beautiful, like creaminess, salted thing. It's delicious. It literally is like a Parmesan alternative because isn't Parmesan. I don't eat mm-hmm. dairy, so I don't, um, I have a very sensitive yeah. to dairy, so mm-hmm. I can't eat dairy. I've never had Parmesan, but I feel like that's what people put on their salads. It's for that salted yes. feeling. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like so you would try. love it. Yeah. It's delicious. I'm going to try this out. I'll let you know how it goes. Jesse, what is your favorite snack right now? Lately, I've been just having just regular yogurt with banana and almonds. I'm trying to... I don't know if it's because I'm <laughs> but I'm like, I am actually watching what I'm eating because I'm like, I can't get rid of this pooch. Like it's, oh my God, it's so annoying. But yeah, I've been a little bit more mindful and intentional about what I'm putting in my body, yeah. especially for snacks. Okay, so I have to ask, what is your so yogurt that you're eating? Because there's so many different yogurts these days. Yeah, there is. It's a plain yogurt. I choose the high fat, mm-hmm. low sugar ones. Or pink yogurt? Yeah, so it doesn't taste that great. <laughs> this one, oh, I'm trying to remember. No, this one isn't. This one is a regular, because I was actually looking at some of the Greek yogurts and I was like, ooh, this is, there was more, sh- I don't know. I was in a Costco and that one had mm-hmm. more sugar than I thought it would have. So anyways, this one has, I don't know, like 2% or 2 grams or like yeah. something really low in sugar, but something in high mm-hmm. like fat content too. I don't know. The older I've gotten, the more I'm like, you know what? Full fat. Like, I'm going to enjoy life. Like, why go with low fat? And also because it's just like they substitute sugar with fat. Yeah. Or sorry, fat with sugar. Right? That's all they do. So, yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, I'm trying. <laughs> I love it. What about you, Quinn? What's your favorite snack right now? We're eating a lot of salads. And one thing I really love is I go to Costco and I get the giant jar of grilled artichoke. And then I heat it up in the air fryer and it gets really super crispy. And because it's already been soaked in oil, I don't have to add any extra oil. And I just <laughs> like air fry it until it's super crispy. And it's just a really great texture. Yeah. Um, is yeah. It so they do all? flavor it with like Mediterranean or, or you- Italian seasoning, I guess. I, it's just eat it out of the air fryer and it's so good. I feel like both of your snacks are healthier yes. than mine. For sure. Oh, we, we were talking about chips in the other episode. <laughs> no. Jesse, I got some bags. I'm sending it to you. These are Lit. Taiwanese oyster pancakes. Yeah. Taiwanese store. And they have the appetizer. Yes. It's that <gasps> flavor chip. It's so good. Where did you get? I have not seen I got it yet. at the Asian market. So maybe I can do this. I'll just send extra bags to Jesse. You guys need a meetup. Seriously, I think you yeah, can get I will. So I'm well. going to drive. Not that um, I wouldn't <laughs> drive to you, <laughs> Jesse, but I'm definitely driving for the chips now. <laughs> yeah, the chips are like yay big, maybe like six to eight. And it's only like a third. It's like a small handful. So you can eat one bag and feel OK. <laughs> but it's like, but I want a second <laughs> bag because it's so good. <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm really like I'm not peckish. Like I want to go and have snacks. Talking about snacks too much. <laughs> oh, man. It is the afternoon for us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank when you I for sharing. Them, I'll let you know, Ellen. Ellen, thank you so much for coming to our show. We really appreciate your time and sharing all the bits about happiness with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. It went in so many directions and now I'm 
going to go eat some snacks. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> Bye.